Welcome in to News and Views with Tom Lamprecht. The stories you've heard and the ones you need to hear. Real infrastructure. Although it's a smaller bill, it's still historic. Whether this bill is $4.5 trillion, $3 trillion, or $1.5. More taxes. More debt. The Democrats' proposal will worsen inflation. More painful inflation. You talked about increased crime. It is skyrocketing across the country. Parents at school board meetings, Americans are pushing back. Your life, your values, your voice. This is News and Views with Tom Lamprecht on Talk 96.3 and 103.7. All right, welcome in. It is News and Views for a Thursday, Political Trivia Thursday. Your category, Harry Truman, will play in a little bit. Lots to talk about today, including uh, got a lot of good audio from the Merrick Garland hearing. You know, he was up in Washington, D.C., supposedly to talk about the January 6th insurrection where American citizens went into the People's House, the uh, Capitol, and uh, were arrested for taking selfies. The, um, it, it ended up being the Republicans getting all over Merrick Garland considering uh, his memo that he sent and calling parents at school board meeting domestic terrorists. We'll get to that. Got some good audio for you in a little bit. First, I want to go to a uh, story that Dallas Woodhouse has written in the Carolina Journal, we have talked already a couple of weeks back about the fact that the Supreme Court, the justices on the Supreme Court, which the Democrats have a 4-3 majority, and they were, and I said at the time, this just is, you know, seems like total malfeasance. It's just beyond the pale that they would even consider this. But there was actually consideration that the majority of the justices on the Supreme Court would rule that two of the Republicans on the court needed to recuse themselves. And if they didn't, they would remove the two justices from hearing the case that involved the voter ID, photo voter ID, that was a constitutional amendment that the citizens of North Carolina approved. What was that, back in uh, 2017, 2018? So, and we're still waiting for it to become law. Well, should, should they do that? Highly partisan, controversial move, removing two Republican Supreme Court justices off this most critical case. If they do that, state House Republicans, this out of the Carolina Journal, could enact a step that would remove those Democrats' justice, those Democrat Supreme Court justices immediately and indefinitely by a simple majority vote. So I don't think those Supreme Court justices that are Democrats want to consider doing what they've proposed. Carolina Journal first broke this story. The Democrats on the state Supreme Court were seriously considering using their narrow 4-3 court majority to sideline two Republican justices. Carolina Journal reporting was verified when Democrat Justice Anita Earls signed an order directing the plaintiffs in the amendment cases, the NAACP and legislative defendants, to present arguments to the court on the issue of forced removals of the state Supreme Court justices over perceived conflicts of interest. Carolina Journal further reported on March 2, 2019, Earls was a guest of honor at a local NAACP fundraiser well after it had filed the suit in the NAACP versus Moore, that would be Tim Moore, 
And after Superior Court Judge Brian Collins had issued a ruling in the case, it was virtually guaranteed this case was headed for the Supreme Court when Earls was raising money for the NAACP, the plaintiffs in the case. Since Carolina Journal first began its work on this potential extreme injustice at the state Supreme Court, the Wall Street Journal, as well as Forbes, have spoken about the Democrats' potential conflict of interest, as explained by Dr. Andy Jackson, director of the Civitas Center for Public Integrity with the John Locke Foundation, Article 4, Section, Article 4, Section 4 of the North Carolina Constitution lays out the basics of impeachment. The House of Representatives solely shall have the power of impeaching. The court for the trial of impeachment shall be the Senate. When the governor or lieutenant governor is impeached, the chief justice shall preside over the court. A majority of the members shall be necessary to a quorum, and no person shall be convicted without the concurrence of two-thirds of the senators present. Judgment upon the conviction shall not extend beyond removal from and disqualification to hold office in the state, but the parties shall be liable to indictment and punishment according to the law. As with the U.S. Constitution, impeachment is the start of the process, with the North Carolina House functioning as the rough equivalent to a grand jury. Removing an impeached individual from the office requires a trial in the Senate and a two-thirds vote of all senators present. As noted by uh, Christopher Cooper, political science and politically st- uh, political studies professor at Western Carolina University, the process for impeachment in North Carolina mirrors that of the federal government process. Um, anyway, the, the bottom line is here that if the Democrats on the Supreme Court want to continue with a highly partisan move to remove Republican Supreme Court justices from hearing this case involving the photo ID law, constitutional amendment, um, if, if they want to make that move, then the legislature, the House, can impeach and the Senate would hear the trial, very similar to uh, an impeachment at the federal level. So uh, I, I think that's going to be off the table. What do you think? I, I think uh, suddenly the Dems, as this becomes better known, and as Republicans, I would think, would go ahead and say, yes, we are very willing to do that. If you're willing to do something as off the wall as booting two justices off of a case because you don't want them to hear it because you think they're going to vote in the, op- the way that you'd— you talk about partisan politics and the judiciary— Wow. Very blatant. And so you've got one Supreme Court justice who is actually out raising money for the plaintiffs in a case that's going to come before her. Can't make this stuff up. All right, let's go up to Washington, D.C. So Merrick Garland comes before the House Committee, House Judiciary Committee. And again, uh, by the way, the head of this committee is the uh, former, former rather large Jerry Nadler. Still a pretty big guy, but only half the man he used to be. The, uh, the reason he was going to come up there was to discuss the uh, situation that happened on January the 6th. It uh, ended up being 
when the Republicans got a hold of their turn to speak and ask questions, it turned into something very different. And it didn't take long at all for things to get heated this morning. Jerry Nadler got things going by basically turning history on its head. I mean, it was really interesting to hear him accuse Donald Trump, total opposite of what actually happened to Trump by the FBI, which is a part of the Department of Justice. FBI goes highly political under the direction of the former administration, the Obama administration, and under the direction of the Hillary Clinton campaign. I mean, we don't have to go over it again. I mean, we we know all about the former head of the FBI and, you know, Lisa Page and Strzok and, you know, the the lovers that kept sending their texts back and forth, how we're going to take this guy out. So Jerry Nadler turns history on his head and accuses Donald Trump of doing the very things that the Obama administration and the Hillary Clinton campaign did. He's right off the bat, as soon as he opened, started his opening arguments. Now, what I'm going to play for you first is Jerry Nadler, immediately followed by Jim Jordan, who, by the way, Jim Jordan just does an excellent job of uh, taking Nadler to task, but also taking a look at how this attorney general and this president is basically running the government in such a way, well, let's, let's call it tyranny. And he explains why he says that. So here's first, and by the way, I have edited these down for, for time, but nothing is taken out of context. This is Jerry Nadler followed by Jim Jordan. Cut one. For four years, the democratic institutions that you have sworn to protect, first as a judge and now as attorney general, were deeply undermined by the former president and his political enablers. During that time, the Trump administration leveraged the department to protect the president and his friends and to punish his enemies, both real and imagined. And when the former president lost the last election, he summoned the top law enforcement officers in the country and demanded that they use the full power of the federal government to install him for another term. Trump's plan failed. Even now, however, the ex-president and his allies continue to cast doubt on the last election and appear to be drafting a plan to overturn the next one. And next time, we may not be so lucky. The chairman just said the Trump DOJ was political and went after their opponents. Are you kidding me? Three weeks ago, the National School Board Association writes President Biden asking him to involve the FBI in local school board matters. Five days later, the Attorney General of the United States does just that does exactly what a political organization asked to be done. Five days. Republicans on this committee have sent the Attorney General 13 letters in the last six months. It takes weeks and months to get a response. Eight of the letters, we've got nothing. They just gave us the finger, said, we're not going to get back to you. And all our letters were actually sent to the Attorney General. Here's a letter sent to someone else asking for a specific thing to be done, and in five days, the Attorney General does it. Here's what the October 4th memo said. Quote, I'm directing the FBI to convene meetings with local leaders. These meetings will open dedicated lines of communication for threat reporting. Dedicated lines of communication for threat reporting. A snitch line on parents. Where's the dedicated lines of communication with local leaders regarding our southern border? Something that frankly is a federal matter. Where's the dedicated lines of communication on violent crime in our cities? Violent crime that has went up in every major urban area where Democrats have defunded the police. 
Can't do that. The Biden Justice Department is going to go after parents who object to some racist, hate America curriculum. Nope, can't focus on the southern border where 1.7 million illegal encounters have happened this year alone. A record. MS-13 can just waltz right across the border, but the Department of Justice, they're going to open up a snitch line on parents. The same FBI that Mr. Garland is directing to open dedicated lines of communication for reporting on parents just a few years ago spied on four American citizens associated with President Trump's campaign. Clinton campaign hired Perkins Coie, who hired Fusion GPS, who hired Christopher Steele, who put a bunch of garbage together, gave it to the FBI. They used that as the basis to open up an investigation into a presidential campaign. Mr. Zussman, who worked at Perkins Coie, the firm hired by the Clinton campaign, he cut out all the middlemen. He just said, I'm just going to go directly to the FBI, and not just anyone at the FBI. Who'd he go to? Jim Baker, the chief counsel at the FBI, handed him a bunch of false information, told him false information, and of course, he's been indicted by the special counsel. A few weeks ago, the IG at the Department of Justice released a report that found that the FBI made over 200 errors, omissions, and lies in just 29 randomly selected FISA applications. But don't worry, the Attorney General of the United States just put them in charge of a dedicated line of communication to report on parents who attend school board meetings. The good folks I get the privilege of representing in the 4th District of Ohio, folks all around the country, they tell me for the first time they fear their government. And frankly, I think it's obvious why. Every single liberty we enjoy under the First Amendment has been assaulted over the last year. Stop and think about it. Americans were told you couldn't go to church, couldn't go to work, couldn't go to school. Small business owners were told you're not an essential business. Close your doors, causing many of them to go bankrupt. We were given curfews, stay-at-home orders. And, of course, there's always a double standard with these folks. Folks who make the rules never seem to follow them. And now the Biden administration says get a vaccine or lose your job. Even if you've had COVID and have natural immunity, get a vaccine or you will lose your job. Jefferson said once, tyranny is when the people fear the government. We're there. I don't think the good people of this great country are going to cower and hide. I think your memo, Mr. Attorney General, was the last straw. I think it was the catalyst for a great awakening that is just getting started. Americans are pushing back because Americans value freedom. When government tells parents we're smarter than you, Americans aren't going to tolerate it. When the Attorney General of the United States sets up a snitch line on parents, Americans aren't going to tolerate it. I think they're going to stand up to this accelerated march to communism that we now see. America's going to fight the good fight. They're going to finish the course. They're going to keep the faith because Americans value freedom. Well said by Jim Jordan. Uh, you know, I, I do hope we're in a situation where the American people have awakened and uh, are sick of what they see happening in D.C. under the Biden administration. All the polling points there. You know, one one of the big indicators will be... Uh, the election a week from next Tuesday between Terry McAuliffe and Glenn Youngkin. Right now it's tied at 46 percentage points each. And, uh, you know, that's usually with polling that favors Democrats. So we'll see what happens. Listen, I've got some more audio. That's just the beginning of the Garland Mer- uh, Merrick Garland uh, hearing. Boy, he got roasted by one Mike Johnson out of Louisiana. We'll have that audio when we get back. collection of question marks. There's a lot of questions. Why? How? No logic, no reason, no explanation. Just a prolonged nightmare. Worst nightmare of their lives. This long nationwide 
nightmare. We'll start collecting clues as to the whys, the what's, and the where's. Neighborhood by neighborhood. Literally knocking on doors. This is your worst nightmare. The nightmare. It would be a nightmare. Worst nightmare. We will not end the nightmare. We'll only explain it. Explain to us. Because this. This. This is News and Views with Tom and Benny on Talk 96.3 and 103.7. All right, welcome back in. It is a political trivia Thursday. We'll play in a little bit. Uh, Harry Truman is your category. Taking a look at your weather forecast. Looks pretty good. Portly cloudy tonight, a low around 63. A chance of showers tomorrow after uh, noontime. Otherwise sunny with high near 77. Chance of afternoon rain, 50%. Tomorrow night, a slight chance of rain into the evening, a low in the uh, mid-50s. Saturday and Sunday looks great. High Saturday with sunshine, 74. High Sunday with sunshine near 80. Saturday night, a low around 51. So all in all, it looks great. Weather brought to you by our friends at the Ironwood Golf and Country Club. Voted best golf course in Greenville two years in a row. Ironwood Golf and Country Club boasts an 18-hole Lee Trevino design course, full-service dining, an outdoor pool, tennis, and more. Our newly renovated 15,000-square-foot clubhouse is the perfect place to make new traditions with your family. And come uh, this Christmas, bring your family and friends or your business, perhaps, to Ironwood for the perfect Christmas party. Give them a call at 252-752-4653. Find out what makes Greenville the best (laughs) and Ironwood the best in Greenville. Again, that number, 252-752-4653. 4653. And also for Christmas, how about uh, some golf lessons, gift certificate, or rounds of golf, gift certificate? Uh, they've got equipment, they've got apparel, so go see the good folks at Ironwood Golf and Country Club. Getting back to this whole Merritt Garland deal. So, opens up. Nadler wants to make Garland the hero and Trump the villain. Jim Jordan turns around and says, wait a minute, wait a minute. It was the FBI under the DOJ that went after innocent people that worked for Donald Trump. And by the way, another part that didn't make it uh, on that audio that he was talking about, just how there was, uh, how many, I think it was 24 FISA applications that were randomly picked with 200 errors, over 200 errors by the FBI in these uh, FISA applications to the FISA court. Then it came up, and of course, again, a lot of the Republicans focused on this memo that Merrick Garland wrote on right after the National School Board wrote to the Biden administration and wanted the Biden administration to come after parents. And the Biden administration went over to the attorney general, which the attorney general does not work for the president, not supposed to, even though Obama called uh, his attorney general, Eric Holder, his wingman. He's supposed to be working for the people of the United States. He's supposed to be working for Congress. He's supposed to be upholding our laws. But uh, it pretty much appears that Merrick Garland is the personal attorney for the Trump administ- for the uh, Biden administration. So more and more of the questions dealt with this memo that Merrick Garland sent to the FBI saying, you know, all right, maybe we need to treat these parents like they're domestic terrorists. 
So then the questioning came to Representative Mike Johnson from Louisiana. This is cut to Mike began to focus in on the fact that many of the parents are upset with critical race theory being taught at our schools. You know, telling their kids that, yes, you do not judge people by the content of their character, but you do judge people by the color of their skin. That's basically what critical race theory says. And uh, Mike Johnson begins some questioning along the lines of, wait a minute, in essence, you're telling these parents by intimidation to shut up when it comes to critical race theory. Isn't there a conflict of interest because your son-in-law owns a company that sells curriculum to schools promoting critical race theory to the point that this company has been paid $27 million from as many as 1,500 school districts across the country since 2017. Listen to the give and take. This is, again, this is about, I don't know, two and a half, three minutes. The give and take between Representative Mike Johnson, Republican from Louisiana, and Merrick Garland not answering the question, very simple question, very straightforward question, on this conflict of interest and taking this to uh, someone overseeing even Merrick Mer- Garland has still got to answer to certain people when it comes to conflict of interest. He would not answer the question. The thing that has concerned many of those parents that are showing up at these school board meetings, the very basis of their objection and their vigorous debate, as you mentioned earlier, is the curricula, the very curricula that your son-in-law is selling. So to millions of Americans, I mean, my constituents, I was home all weekend, I got an earful about this. They're very concerned about that. Subpart E of that federal regulation says an employee of the executive branch is discouraged from engaging in conduct that's likely to affect the financial interest of someone close to them. Your son-in-law, your daughter, clearly meets that definition. And, and so the question is, did, did you follow that regulation? Did you have the appropriate agency ethic official look into this? Did you seek guidance as the federal regulation requires? This memorandum is aimed at violence and threats of violence. I understand There's that, but no did, you, did you seek, excuse me, did you seek ethics counsel before you issued a letter that directly relates to the financial interest of your family? Yes or no? This memorandum does not relate to the financial interests of anyone. It's a th- it's against. I take that as a no. I take that as a no. Memorandum is against violence and threats of violence. I will, will you, Mr. Attorney General, will you commit to having the appropriate ethics designee review the case and make the results public? This memorandum is aimed at violence and threats of violence. I understand your talking point. You're not answering my question, Mr. Attorney General. With all due respect, will you submit to an ethics review of this matter, yes or no? There is no company in America or hopefully no law-abiding citizen in America who believes that threats of violence should not be prevented. There are no conflicts of interest that anyone could have. According to you, but sir, with due respect, that's the purpose of the federal regulation. We need objective third parties to review our activities. You don't get to make that decision yourself. It doesn't matter. You're the chief law enforcement of this country. This raises questions in the minds of millions of Americans, and your impartiality is being called into question. Why would you not submit to a simple ethics review of that? I am exquisitely aware of the ethics requirements. But you're not following them. I have followed them and lived with them for the last 25 years. Did you seek an ethics review of this or not? I want to say again, 
there are no conflicts of interest involved when the Justice Department. Okay, okay. According to you, I got that. I'm not trying to be disrespectful, but you are not respecting our rules, our constitutional norms, and the federal law that directly applies to your activities. This is a great concern. This is why people are losing faith in our institutions. They're losing faith in this Department of Justice. And you and I both know, as constitutional attorneys, that if, if the people lose their faith, in our system of justice, if they lose their faith in the idea that justice is blind, that they're not two standards, that there's one standard of the law, and that every time of the gentleman has expired, would the attorney general like to respond to the innuendo? No, I, all I can say is I completely agree that the rule of law and respect for it is essential. And uh, I will always do everything possible to uphold that and to avoid any kind of conflict of interest. But you will not submit to an ethics Time inquiry. of the gentleman has expired. Well, I would just Time of the gentleman has expired. It wasn't expired. innuendo, it was a question. Thank you. It was a question. The question is, is, is... The editorial the comments from the chair about the, other people's the, questions is not appreciated by this side of the aisle. Wow. <laughs> Jerry Nadler's a piece of work. By the way, earlier on, when... Jim Jordan was giving his opening comments. Jim Jordan wanted to show a video. Well, there's a protocol, not a rule, but there's a protocol that says, okay, if you want to show a video, please submit it 48 hours ahead of time so we can make sure it's set up and they can be played. Jerry Nadler said, oh, you didn't follow that rule, which is not a rule. It was just, again, protocol. Um, so they wouldn't let him show it. Uh, it's interesting how Jerry Nadler wants to... Uh, be unaccommodating when it comes to the Republicans. But, I mean, Garland would not answer the question. I mean, a very simple question. Would you submit this to an ethics overseer? And all he would answer was, oh, this has nothing to do with that. My, it has nothing to do with curriculum or anybody making money. Really? I mean, the bottom line is, if we can extinguish any parental opposition to critical race theory in these school board meetings is really going to help us assure that the company, Panorama Education, which is owned by Garrett, Merrick Garland's son-in-law, that will assure the sales of this garbage curriculum that it would sell another $27 million over the next five years. Can you imagine if this guy, Merrick Garland, would have made it to the Supreme Court? Wow. I mean, we had a clue maybe as to how bad he would be, but I don't think we had any idea that it would be this bad. So kudos to Mike Johnson. Hit the nail on the head, and it didn't end there. Representative Chip Roy from Texas, he grilled the attorney general demanding wanting to know whether or not the DOJ is investigating the alleged sexual assault in Loudoun County. The daughter of the guy we've been talking about over and over again, Scott Smith, he was the guy that got arrested because when he was sharing the situation about this transgender, which again, the sheriff up there has verified that this guy was arrested, not once, but twice for sexual assault. But when he, uh, when the dad went to testify before the school board last spring, Scott Ziegler, who was the superintendent, said, "Well, we have no record. That's never happened. Who is the? Who is this fictitious person?" 
Well, Scott Smith, the mother, the father of the little girl that got sodomized, he was so incensed that he exploded, and then they had him arrested for that, and they're going to prosecute the guy. So, Roy uh, Chip Roy, Representative Chip Roy, asks, begins to ask Merrick Garland about what was happening at these school board meetings. Let me read part of what's said, and then I'm going to play some audio for you. Are you aware that because Loudoun County prosecutors confirmed that the boy who assaulted this young girl in Broad Run High School is the same boy who wore a skirt and went into a girl's bathroom, sodomized and raped a 14-year-old girl in a different Loudoun County High School on May the 28th? Are you aware of those facts? Roy asked Garland. Garland says, that sounds like a state case, and I'm not familiar with it. Well, guess what? School board meetings are state and local cases. You seem to be involved and very familiar with those. Roy goes on, are you aware that Loudoun County failed to report this sexual assault under state law, and are you investigating? I'm sorry, I didn't know anything about this case, Garland replied. Roy goes on, are you aware that the Virginia General Assembly, run by Democrats, voted for and Democrat Governor Ralph Northam signed a bill allowing schools to refrain from reporting instances of sexual battery, stalking, violation of a protective order, and violent threats occurring on school property. Is the FBI investigating how that may conflict with the Violence Against Women Act and conflict with your own domestic terrorism efforts, Roy asked. Garland said, I don't know anything about the Virginia legislation. It went on from there. Cut three. Is the FBI or the Department of Justice investigating the Loudoun School Board for violating civil rights or under authority of, say, the Violence Against Women Act? Uh, I don't believe so, but I don't know the answer to that. I'd ask why not, because on June 22nd at a school board meeting in Loudoun County, Virginia, the superintendent, Scott Ziegler, declared in front of the father of the girl who had been raped that the predator, transgender student, or person simply does not exist. And that to his knowledge, we don't have any records of assaults occurring in our restrooms. When this statement bothered the father of the girl, I'm a father of a daughter, I believe you are too, sir. The girl who had been raped, sodomized in the bathroom of a high school by a dude wearing a skirt, that father reacted. Now that father reacted by simply using a derogatory word. Would that statement have bothered you if your daughter had been raped, if somebody said that it didn't occur? Again, I, I don't know anything about the facts of this case, but derogatory words are not what my memorandum is about. Wait a minute. Whoa, 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 whoa. Your memorandum is not about derogatory words. That is exactly what your memo was about. You wanted to frame parents that were verbally expressing outrage over CRT and transgender bathroom policies to be framed as domestic terrorists. There's been no violence at these school board meetings. It's all been verbal. Garland's memo was issued in response to the National School Board Association's request, which references Scott Smith's case directly. Directly. Smith, 48, of Leesburg, was charged with disorderly conduct and obstruction of justice. Sheriff's office says he physically threatened someone and then continued to be disorderly with the deputy and then resisted arrest. According to uh, the Daily Wire, the Loudoun County Sheriff's 
uh, office dispatch logs also list a phone call to the high school from the FBI after being informed that the school incident was a sexual assault. The FBI waved itself off. So if the National School Board complains to the Biden administration, even though it's a state or local matter, Garland's all over it. But if a ninth grader is raped at a public school, which would be in conflict with the Violence Against the Women's Act, Merrick Garland really isn't interested. How do you not know anything about this case? It's been all over the news. If this guy is that uninformed and has no opinion, should he be the attorney general? But the idea, well, that's a state matter. That's a local matter. It has nothing to do with me. Why didn't you say that to the Biden administration when it came to school board meetings? Wow. Didn't end there. Representative Ken Buck from Colorado displayed a Hunter Biden painting. Uh, this was today. Asking the attorney general how it could become close in value to two classical art pieces he also displayed. This is is really good. This guy's from Colorado, Kim Buck. The displays served as a lead-up to Buck asking questions of Garland if he would appoint a special prosecutor to investigate Biden. Garland declined to answer. He didn't answer anything the Republicans asked, saying he wouldn't comment on pending investigations. When Buck told him he could comment on appointing a special prosecutor, Garland said he would take Buck's request under advisement. So, When the Biden administration comes to him after the National School Board says, hey, hey, we want to treat these people as domestic terrorists, Merrick Garland responds in five days with this memo. Uh, Yeah, I'll take it under advisement, he says to uh, Ken Buck. He ain't going to do anything with it. Buck showed Garland paintings by Claude Moinet and uh, Edgar Degas, costing $700,000 and $500,000 respectfully. The third painting is a Hunter Biden painting. Buck added to laughter after Garland said he didn't recognize the painting. Buck said that particular painting sold for $500,000. Now you may think that when Hunter Biden is in such exclusive company that he would have background in artist uh, training, for example, he said. But you would be wrong if you thought that. You might think that he had some sort of apprenticeship with a world-renowned artist, but you would be wrong again. Or perhaps he had been selling his works for years, and again, unfortunately, you would be wrong. Buck noted that Biden was selling his pieces for as much as $500,000. The New York Post previously reported that the gallery hosting Biden had received $500,000 in coronavirus relief. As Buck noted, former President Obama's ethics czar expressed concern over the young Biden's dealings. Hunter Biden should cancel his art sale because he knows the pieces are based on his dad's job. Well, it's been that way for a long, long time. Why stop now? Garland's department has uh, reportedly started to investigate Hunter Biden's finances. Don't hold your breath. 561-8255, that's the number to call if you want to play political trivia. We're going to take a timeout. We come back, we're going to play your category, Harry Truman, 561-8255. Got a great prize package. Political trivia, when we get back. All 
All right, welcome back in. Political trivia. Your category, Harry Truman. Prize package includes a free oil change for your car pickup at Dave Davis's East Carolina Chrysler Dodge Jeep or at Washington Chrysler Dodge Jeep Ram. A gift certificate from Fit for Life, including two free training sessions with the coach. A $20 gift card to Mucho Bueno and a $20 gift card to Gwendy's Goodies Bakery in Aden. A gift card to University PC Care and a gift certificate from the Ironwood Country Club. Remember, if you or anyone in your immediate family have won recently, let 60 days pass before you play again. First up, from Snow Hill, we've got Jay on the line. Hi, Jay. Hey, Tom. How are you? I'm doing well. You ready to play? I'm going to give him a best shot. All right. All right. Well, last week we had uh, Ray from uh, Winterville. Uh, he got the answer before I even asked the question. So, <laughs> oh. <laughs> I don't know if you're going to do that. Anyway, your category is Harry Truman. Here's your question. In 1951, as President Harry Truman was preparing to leave office, he agreed to participate in an event that had never been attempted before in our nation. And I need a pretty specific answer. What was this first ever event that Harry Truman participated in in 1951? Uh, boy, uh, I don't know, Tom, but I'll just throw it out there. The World's Fair, I don't know. Uh, not it. Good guess. Not it. 561-8255. Let's get on to New Bern. Mike's on the line. Hey, Mike. Hey, bud. What do you think? Have you heard the question? I have. Give it to me again. All right. In 1951, Harry Truman was preparing to leave office. He agreed to participate in an event that had never been attempted before by anybody or anyone in our nation. This was this this was the first ever event. Of, wow. uh, what was this event? First time it had ever happened in the nation. What was it, it that he was participated a re-something. in? Re-something. It was a re-something? Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> I have no idea. Let's go to Ann. Ann, you ready for a hint? Ann, you with us? Ann, yes. Is this Ann? Yes, it is. Okay, Ann. Um, did you hear the question? By the way, no, may, I didn't. May, well, make sure you turn your radio down and listen to me over the phone. Otherwise, you're going to get confused. Yeah. All right. You ready? Yeah. Okay. In 1951, as President Harry Truman was preparing to leave office, he agreed to participate in an event that had never been attempted before in our nation. What was this first ever event that he participated in? Never happened before, okay, by, from anybody, anywhere. It was the first time this had ever been accomplished. Um, here's your hint. While this event ended up being successful, this was uncharted waters. No one was certain of the outcome when it was attempted. However, had it not been successful, people would have been eh, embarrassed, but nobody would have really gotten hurt. Oh, boy. Uh, I-, I have no idea. Take a guess. Take a guess. I can't even think of anything to take a guess. <laughs> <laughs> Don't mean to stop you now. Let's go to Barbara. Hey, Barbara. Yes. All right. Did you hear the question? Yes, I heard the question. All right. What do you think? What well, was this? I know that I'm wrong, but I know he was supposed to have a tea party with Eisenhower. 
before uh, Eisenhower left the office. That's all I can think of. Uh, yeah, Tea Party wouldn't be the first time that had ever happened. But, uh, yeah, that's what I thought after <laughs> I heard you. Yeah. Right, I can't think of anything. Thank okay. you. 561-8255. I think it's time for another hint. Ron is on the line. Hey, Ron, where are you calling from? Greenville, NC. All right, Ron from Greenville. Did you hear the question? I did. All right. I'm going to give you another hint. This event would introduce a paradigm shift in how Americans would spend their leisure time. Oh, man. Is it uh, some televised media appreciation type celebration? You're warm. I need something more specific than that, though. This is the first time this had ever been done. So I need something a little bit more specific. There, television events had taken place, but there was something unique about this event. All right, five six one eight two five five. Who do we have? Say again. Marty's on the line. Hey, Marty. Hey, bud. How you doing? Doing well. What do you think? I was going to say he attended a football game, but I'm probably wrong on that one. That is not it. Good guess. Not it. Let's go to uh, Jeffrey. Hey, Jeffrey. How you doing? Good. You heard the question, right? Did you hear the hints? I did. All right. I did hear the hint. Okay, what was do you think? The first, was it the first color TV production? It wasn't the first color TV production. But, again, you're warm. 561-8255. Let's go back to Marty. Hey, Marty. Yes. Make sure you turn your uh, radio down. Listen to me over the telephone. Okay. All right, take another guess. What do you think? I apparently went to turn his radio down. and <laughs> Marty, you there? Who we got now? Hello. Elizabeth. Elizabeth, what do you think? Yeah. Um, maybe he threw the first um, baseball out at a ball game. Now, this is the first time this would e- has ever been done in 1951. What? So that was but not on it. television, not on live TV. Oh, it was that was not it. Uh, it it Thank has you. something to do with television. Thank you, Elizabeth. Let's go to Charlie. Hey, Charlie. Hey, how's it going? Good. What do you think? Everybody's warm. Uh, They're dancing around it, but there's something specific about this media event. What was it? First time it had ever no, happened. Color television broadcast with no color TV? <laughs> it was not color TV. Somebody else already guessed that. 561-8255. 561-8255. Who you got there, uh, Clark? 561-8255. Everybody's dancing around it, but nobody's gotten it, and we're running out of time. Who you got, Clark? Just throw them up. <laughs> All right, who we got, Timothy? Hello, who we have here? Hello. Hello, who is this? Ola. All right, Ola, what do you think? Please get it, because we're running out of time. I'll give you another hint. This, okay, give me a hint. This event is commonplace today. In fact, it pretty much takes place 24-7. But in 1951, on September 4th, 1951, it happened for the very first time and it centered around Harry Truman. What was it? A, a news broadcast. He, he <laughs> delivered a news broadcast. <laughs> That's not it. That's okay. not it. 5618255. Who else we got? Hello. Who we've got now? Hey, who's with us? 
Uh, let's go to the next one. Who do we have on the line? Richard. Richard, what do you think? Please get this, Richard. We're out of time. This is the last call. If you don't get it, we got to give the answer and go on. It was the first transcontinental press conference. That's it! Thank you, Richard. It was the first time we had broadcast on TV from coast to coast at the entire time. Congratulations to Richard. we got to take a timeout. We'll be right back.